0: hello my name is jerry rag and uh, i'm privileged today to give my testimony uh, which is to say that uh, at some point in my life the lord jesus christ uh, got a hold of me and began to move upon my heart and help me understand that he is my only hope how that happened was um in my earliest years my father was saved when i was about seven we were uh before that uh just an average pagan family. Absolutely no spiritual influence per se. I think if I remember correctly, in those early childhood years, my mother had a little bit of influence from from her Lutheran background, but not much. I grew up with three brothers, so there were four of us boys in the home. And But when I was uh, seven years old, my parents attended a, a rally, really, a, a gospel rally. A revival Service, as they were called back in the day, and both of my parents that night were mercifully saved. The Lord got a hold of them, and and so that radically changed our home. I mean, we, we went immediately uh, from no influence at all uh, of anything spiritual to going to a Baptist church in a conservative Baptist denomination. We met families. I was immediately thrust into Church life, uh, Sunday school ministries, and Bible teaching, and those kind of things, and then, and basically, uh, made a profession of faith probably a year later. Though it wouldn't wouldn't be till many years later when I realized that that early profession of faith, while it was a spiritual awakening for me, it wasn't true regeneration. It wasn't true conversion, uh, but it was a spiritual awakening, and I, I began to hear the gospel all the time at our church, and there were youth pastors that tried to pour them pour their lives into mine and and give me the truth as a young boy growing up. My father became a tremendous influence in my life and the life of my brothers because he he just got up every day and began to read us read the scriptures and and study them and get involved in discipleship groups. The church was very active in its discipleship and so, Um, though he was uh, in his late 30s uh, when he was saved and and had before that only an Episcopalian influence, a meager Episcopalian influence in his family. um, Now he was radically converted and fully immersed in the body life of a local assembly at the Baptist church. And so I heard the gospel growing up and, and I became good at pretending to be a part of it. I learned the lingo in the church. I learned how to get through um you know not disappointing my youth pastor and my dad or my mom too much but at the same time there was no real change on the inside so whenever the heart doesn't change whenever you haven't really given your life to christ you you end up um in bondage to the typical thing so as a teen i grew up and i was very involved in music and i was a drummer and and so i was involved in some of the pop music and and the classic rock scene of the high school years, and played in bands. And and while I was involved in the music of the school, I sang in the choirs and things like that, and played in the jazz band and whatnot. My real uh, heart, my real love, was to get involved in these these bands on the side and play the pop music, popular stuff on the street. And of course, you know, in high school, you have dreams of grandeur. <laughs> And uh, you imagine that you're going to make it big and all those kinds of things. So my heart was uh, sold out to those kind of dreams. Uh, I went to church on Sundays and played the game. I went to youth camps and youth ministry and even even for a time uh, was involved in evangelistic efforts at the local church in my right around year 14, 15, and 16 years of age. So so I remember even giving people the gospel and, and leading a few people in In their own prayer to uh, come to Jesus Christ and be saved and and yet all along um, in the Lord's patience and kindness I I was not a believer and yet he he was very merciful in allowing me to be a part of those things to continue to expose me to the gospel well we moved when I was 16 from Los Angeles California the metropolis of LA uh, to a small much smaller city in Montana Billings Montana and so I was 16 years of age when we left all my friends and, and the surf and beach culture and music culture and all this stuff I was involved in as a young teen. Uh, we moved from there to a uh, more rural area, though Billings was a city. It was only about 100,000 people compared to Los Angeles. And and I was in an area where there, there, were, there were no surfers. <laughs> there was no surfing to be done. There was no beach. And uh, and I came in with uh, tan skin and bleached hair, and, and I was among uh, truck drivers, cowboys, you know rednecks, typical rednecks, we call them. And so that first day of high school, uh, in my junior year, 11th grade, uh, this young guy took pity on me because he knew that I was going be in serious trouble uh, in the midst of that crowd. And so he invited me to his home, Uh, to meet his family and have dinner. And we found out we lived uh, just a few blocks away. And so I went to his home and and met his family. It was a Catholic family. uh, And he became a really, really good friend. But when I went that night to have dinner with his family, I met uh, his sister, his younger sister, who was 14 at the time, Louise, who's now my wife. And so, you know, it was a lot of attraction and puppy love and all that stuff going on in those early teen years uh, as I be- became friends with his sister. But um, she was, you know, they were a marginal Catholic family. They they were devout on Saturday and Sunday, but lived any way they wanted during the week. And I was a marginal Baptist kid who played the game on Sunday and did what I wanted during the week. And so she and I hit it off in those younger years. and as you can imagine we just began to date um well she was on the ski team so she traveled quite a bit she was on a local city ski team and so she did her schoolwork on the road but once she got home and and uh, after uh, an acl injury landed her on crutches for a while she got home and we started to date and as you can imagine a pagan couple of kids our relationship was uh, immoral right from the start and an unwanted pregnancy occurred so she's from an irish catholic family that was scandalous she went to the local catholic high school in town and here was this you know kid who was from the local public high school and uh and she was with child and i was um i was 19 she was 18. and so we had to tell our parents that uh that this had happened and in her family that was massive scandal and in my family uh, my my parents being believers of course had prayed for me and my father prayed for me many times to stay away from trouble but but they also uh, worked with youth ministries in california in those early years of their christian life so they they were much more uh, open to the struggles of the teen years and so they were helpful and instrumental in in uh, helping louise and i Uh, come to grips with this situation eventually we told her folks uh in in a you know about a week and um everybody wanted us to figure out what we were going to do and of course in their family um some were suggesting to dispose of the situation and and for her to abort the child And we would not do any of that even though we were kids and had no clue what we were doing and we were selfish we we clung to one another um and and we just decided we're going to get married so at 19 and 18 years of age with my wife five months pregnant at the time we were married in a catholic church Uh, in the catholic church they uh, were a part of and so um clearly neither she nor i were believers Uh, we didn't know the lord she would have said she was a christian i i like to pretend that i was depending on who i was with but both of us knew deep down that something was wrong terribly wrong so um we were married that march of 1981 Um, our son was born uh, july 12th of that year and you know being 19 years of age and very selfish as a young man i i wanted to be with my friends i didn't want the impingements of taking care of a child I mean, I, in an immature way, I loved my wife, and she loved me, but she she basically took on the responsibility of our child, and I went out and did what I wanted to do with my friends. That made life very difficult for the next few months for her, but it also, in God's wonderful grace, did something in my life. It began to put a tremendous pressure and guilt in my life because I knew better. I knew the gospel. I knew the truth. I knew that I was mistreating my uh, my wife and the situation. I wasn't taking responsibility for it. So there was this mounting pressure upon my conscience that just burdened me. And lo and behold, as the Lord was mounting that pressure and I was going from job to job, and my wife was, you know at home taking care of the kids, and we were our marriage was very much suffering from it all. Uh, then the morning of November 2nd that year, my wife woke up. We, we were between apartments, and so we were staying for several weeks with her parents uh, in the home that Louise grew up in, and she got up that morning and found our son uh, had died uh, in his uh, bed that early that morning at some point. And um, it, was, it was in that morning with a flurry of activity from medical personnel and ambulance and all kinds of people coming around to try to revive our son who was already too far gone it was in that that wild scene that all this guilt inside of me hit critical mass and i i screamed at god to leave me alone and to leave my wife alone i was just angry and fixated my anger on god and really was not willing to condemn myself before him for my own sin Um, i did what every sinner does we we sin and the guilt mounts because we know there's a creator and we know we must respond and yet we suppress the truth in unrighteousness and we we, we, we try to drown out the conscience and that's what I tried to do and then it, it hit that point when I I just was unwilling to bend in the most tragic circumstance and with my wife sitting there shocked by my expression of it as a as a Catholic she knew that you, you scream at God you you are asking for serious trouble in her theology uh, and and she heard me scream leave me alone and so after the funeral a few days later uh, we took some time uh, to visit some family and just try to get away from it all as a couple kids still clinging to one another and so I I needed some stability and I knew it and she and I were talking about it so I just thought well I'm just gonna I'm gonna join the, the armed forces and try to get a steady paycheck and get some stability in my life and help my wife recover from this and so uh, I did I went down and I uh, joined the United States Air Force signed up the following March I was in military school boot camp basic training I spent eight weeks there I went from there to Biloxi Mississippi for tech school where I would train in my career field that was about eight to ten weeks after which I would go back to Montana where my wife was staying with my folks, with her folks, and uh, I would get my orders to our first assignment, our first Air Force base, wherever it was going to be. So I finished tech school. I came back to Montana, and I had a few days there with her and, her fa- and our families, and then I got the phone call where I was to be stationed, and I was going to be stationed in Alaska at a radar facility above the arctic circle and there would be no facilities for family members so i was to be assigned there for 12 months and my wife could not come so um we had been scandal scandalously married at 19 and 18. we had birthed and buried our first son uh 20 and 19. i signed up for the air force and was heading off for 12 months um, and at the time that our son was taken from us, we found out that my wife was pregnant with our second. So, so by the time that I arrived in Alaska, uh, we had, we had already then several months later then birthed our second, which was, uh, a daughter. And I left when she was three weeks old and went to Alaska, my wife was to stay with her folks for the entire 12 months. And of course, what I look back on now and realize that the Lord was doing exactly what he wanted to do, but it was an answer to my ridiculous expression in anger when I said leave me alone, and that's precisely what he was doing. He was going to take me to a place where I was completely alone had to face myself. So I went to this radar site in Alaska. There were 30 military personnel there at the site and a smattering of some civilians. And all I was there to do uh, day and night was to watch a radar scope and watch the Russian border um, across the, the oceans up there, Bering Sea and others. I was just to watch my radar scope on my shift and then go back to doing whatever I do you know it was above the Arctic Circle so in the summertime it was 24 hours of daylight so because you're where the sun doesn't actually go down up there and so we had activities all day uh, outside and then in the winter time it's somewhere around 50 degrees below zero I don't know what that would be in Celsius but it's very very cold and unsurvivable if you stay outside so we battened down the hatches all winter and it was 24 hours of darkness outside and cold so that would be my um my uh, assignment in the air force in alaska i mean, about three months into my time there a soldier was assigned to the site right out of uh, basic training as i had been he arrived and uh this was a guy that knew the Lord Jesus Christ and he truly was regenerate and he truly lived it. And so for the first two weeks of his time at the site there he was everyone was on edge because he was just a godly guy and loved people and loved to smile and and share share his heart with people. The funny thing was that a lot of the guys wanted to take him out back and make him disappear. <laughs> because they hated Christianity up there, and, and yet they couldn't do anything to him because he was a competitive bodybuilder before he went into the Air Force. So he was huge, and he was massively muscular, and, and they were afraid of him. So they he would say, come on into my room and sing some hymns with me, and they, they would be angry, but they couldn't do anything about it. And and he was also just a kind guy. And so about two weeks into his time there, he and I were chatting one morning, about 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning. And he was talking with me. He'd seen me for about two weeks, listened to me for about two weeks, and saw how I lived and how I interacted. And, and I, he was talking about his Christian life and his love for the Lord. And I said to him, I'll never forget it. I said to him, I, I'm a Christian. And he he just said two words. He said, oh, really? And when he said that, I I was undone. I mean, the Spirit of God so hammered my mind and my heart and my conscience with who I really was. He was the real thing. I was not. I envied him for two weeks, but I was heavily burdened that I had told all of these guys up there that I was spiritual and that I was a Christian. But they saw how I lived. I lived like they did. I spoke like they did. I thought like they did. I did what they did and this guy was different and and I I had no power to be like him and so when when he said oh really the spirit just crushed me and I just got up I never said another word I went down down to my room in the barracks and I didn't turn the light on I just fell on the floor closed the door fell on the floor and for about 45 minutes just wept and prayed and confessed my sin to the Lord and and the Lord was so merciful to save me that night. And I got up and I called my father. Uh, I went down to, of all things, a payphone. The only way we could reach the outside world was through a payphone. And for the younger audience of this podcast, those used to be tethered to the wall, you might be shocked to know. And uh, so I went and called him and told him what had happened. And we wept together and prayed together and i said to my dad i said dad i need i need a bible i need some some books i need something i have wasted so much time i've squandered all that upbringing that came when you got saved and i just i'm behind i need some resources and he he said to me mm-hmm. well if you if you remember when you were a young kid uh, at the baptist church a guy by the name of jack macarthur used to come and speak and i said well i am familiar with the name i think i remember some of those preachers coming through and he said well his son has a ministry and it's uh, in california and they are putting his messages on cassette tape and uh if you don't if you don't mind i'll send those to you and so i was thrilled so two weeks later um my care package arrived I opened it up. I found a, a, a Holman's study Bible in there. Uh, back in the day, the Holman study Bible and Master's study Bible was just um, a great tool. And and there were some books in there. J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, was in there. And, and that was the first theological book I ever read. And there were some tape series in there. One was the, the uh, Disciples' Prayer from Matthew 6 these were expositions sermons preached by Dr. John MacArthur in his pulpit at Grace Community Church in Southern California so I listened to the Matthew 6 series on the Lord's Prayer and then uh, Ephesians 6 was in there which was a study of the armor of the believer the believer's protection against temptation uh, with the analogy of the Roman soldiers um, equipment I mean I immediately resonated with soldiering, and so I was thrilled to see a passage where the Apostle Paul was using uh, an ancient Roman soldier as an analogy for the battle gear that you need. I mean, I immediately locked into that kind of uh, concept when I was studying Ephesians 6. And so for the next eight months, I just studied the Bible, listened to sermons, about six a day or so. I had a three days on, three days off schedule of watching the Radar Scope and watching Russia. So so, and it was a graveyard shift, so I had most of the day, most of the week, to listen to sermons and, and grow up as an early Christian. And in the meantime, I was telling this to my wife on the phone when we would talk, and she would say, no, I'm, I'm saved. I'm, I'm a Catholic. I've been a Catholic all my life. I've loved Jesus all my life. And I didn't know what to say to her except this is different. You're, you, you're, you're not a Christian because you you believe that it's by works that you're saved by the works you do, by the sacraments of the Catholic faith and, and I said uh, salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone and I didn't know all the key reformational terminology. I just knew what I was learning from my studies in scripture. and of course I'd received a good gospel when I grew up. I mean I knew the truth was, was that you believe Christ by faith and you turn from your sin and and you're saved and so we talked for that eight months. I came home. I had about ten days with family, sort of getting reunited. My daughter was now one year old, um, and uh, and we got ready for our next duty assignment. And I was assigned to this to the state of Florida, to North Florida, to a base called Tyndall Air Force Base. We had a six-day drive from Montana to, to Florida, and I the whole time just spoke about the truth and tried to single-handedly dismantle Catholicism. My poor wife, she uh, she listened to all of it and wept the whole time because I I was very zealous sensitive. and sensitive. And about a month after arriving in Florida, she... Came in one night and just said, "All right, look, I don't, I don't know everything that you've been saying to me. You've, you've been showing me where the Catholic Church doesn't agree with the Scriptures, and and I, I believe the Scriptures are the Word of God. But it's been hard to to hear that about my heritage and my background and my parents and my family. But she said, one thing's for sure, you are different. You you have power over sin that I don't have, and I've seen it." now for a month or so and I want what you have and so that night we prayed and the Lord mercifully saved her and so here we were just still a couple of kids and uh, we needed help and so we determined then that I would separate from the Air Force in 86 and we would drive out to uh, really our roots to Grace Community Church in Southern California, I was familiar with LA, having grown up there. So, my wife was nervous about moving to such a big place, and yet we were desperate for Bible teaching and discipleship and fellowship. And so, we moved out to Southern California, and we began to attend Grace Community Church. I remember when we were when she was saved. The night she was saved, we prayed three things. It's very specific. Uh, the first thing we prayed was Lord, we don't know enough truth to be protected from error and we've seen the error of the Catholic Church and working your way to heaven and how how that that's not possible as the Bible teaches. And we've seen the error of our my Baptist life, not not because the gospel wasn't true in the Baptist Church, but because it was too easy to live a, a marginal life as a you know professing Christian who, who isn't really walking faithfully. And we just said we need help. We need to know the truth. So take us somewhere where we can trust the pastoral leadership and trust the teaching. And then secondly, we need help um, living the Christian life passionately. We want to be radical. If we're going to do this, we've seen the, the minimalist approach. We've seen the traditionalist approach. We've seen the shallow, superficial approach. We want to be the real deal. So bring into our lives whatever is required to to make us radical in in our walk with you and then the third thing we prayed was just my silly prayer because i i didn't know how else to pray but i i I literally prayed if if it's possible if you would allow us in your kindness to sit in one service at grace community church and hear john MacArthur preach in person just one time And then i said this i would never ask you for another thing (laughs) i i literally said to the lord i won't ask you for anything more which obviously was uh, an immature um very childish prayer that was ignorant really of the truth of scripture but god god knows all that and and uh but i just prayed it boldly and so (laughs) He answered those prayers in spades. We moved out to Grace Community Church, so now we had a trusted ministry to come under. We found mentors who helped us. Uh, The passion of our heart grew for the things of the Lord. And not only did we weep in our very first service hearing John MacArthur in person, I remember we sat in the middle of the auditorium all the way back against the wall weeping, and people kept coming by and saying, are you guys okay? And uh, and I remember that, but not only did the Lord allow that, but it was five years later that Dr. MacArthur, out of the blue, uh, asked me if I would be a uh, help to his office and his ministry and come on staff and, and uh, do some work for him personally as well as for the ministry. So I was utterly uh, undeserving and certainly inadequate for that role, but Uh, Dr. MacArthur stuck his neck out and and uh, wanted me to help his office and and so my wife and I were there for another 10 years I served his office um, as personal assistant senior associate in the ministry there we learned we grew we were challenged we raised our kids early on from there We by then now had in those early years um, more children and so we have uh, four children biological children and then uh, some saved uh, a saved nephew and two saved nieces that are like our own because we had given them the gospel all their growing up years in a very troubled family And, and now they're with us and they're in Christ and they're here in our ministry and we count them as our own and And so the Lord grew us, and um, in 2001, when I had been with the ministry there for some years, uh, the Lord began to move and open up some opportunities for us to be a part of a flock that needed a shepherd and wanted to grow in their lives and ministry, and so my wife and I, uh, in the good graces of the Lord, agreed to come to South Florida Jupiter, the Grace Emmanuel Bible Church in 2001, and I preached my first sermon here May thirteenth, two 2001, and it was Mother's Day, and it, it, it's been a sweet journey now, almost uh, 19 years, 18 and a half years, been an absolute sweet journey that we've been on uh, in wonderful ways, incredible, um, so a uh, huge blessing an amazing ride and and we look back on all of it and in the spirit of the psalmist in psalm 96 we just want to always tell of the wonderful deeds of the lord in these things and uh, we now tell people that uh, when they go through difficulties and trials and pains and and suffering and affliction god does use it in fact my wife and i would not be believers to this day if the lord had not used the death of our firstborn To uh, rock my world, to bring me to the end of myself, to push all that guilt to the surface like a volcano and to hear it expressed out of my own mouth, my defiance against God. And then in his great patience, just a uh, a couple of months later, uh, January 3rd, 1983, to pour out his grace upon me in the wee hours of the morning. Uh, because he'd left me alone. I told him to leave me alone, and he left me alone to deal with with my own heart. And he himself, of course, did not leave me alone. He just took me out of all my comforts. And then he began to deal with me and make me face that I was defiant against him. It was my problem. And that is, of course, the problem of every sinner. We are born... Uh, in a defiance against God by nature and we're in bondage to it and our minds are blinded to it and we we know there's a judge we know instinctively and naturally and morally that we will face a judge one day but we suppress that in godless thinking and atheism and agnosticism and a host of other false ideas and religions and even just rank paganism we try to suppress all that as I did, and none of it uh, goes anywhere. It never delivers on its promises. It's all lies. It never fulfills. Life is always destroyed by it. And then uh, when we're brought to the end of ourselves, uh, what we need most desperately is a message of a hope. And, and the thing is, God solved our problem. He solved the plight of men who could not solve their own problem. Just as a leopard can't change his spots, a fallen sinner cannot change his heart on his own, nor can he solve his dilemma before God. He must pay for his sin, but he won't be able to pay for it in an eternity of judgment. And so a solution has to come because we're not perfect, and yet God is holy and perfect. He can't look upon sin and do nothing, He's a holy judge. And yet, though he's holy, he's also loving and merciful and wanted to express that to his creation. So he's the one that solved the problem for us by sending his son. How remarkable is that, that his own beloved son, who is God, a very God, who is the second member of the triune God, The Father loves the Son, and the second member of the Trinity came and took on human flesh to become one of us so that he could live the perfect life we couldn't live, and then offer himself before his Heavenly Father as the perfect sacrifice we could not offer. And as he laid his life down for sinners on the cross, and he died bearing guilt that was not his own, he bore the guilt of every sinner who will ever believe in him, then his father was satisfied and his wrath was satisfied as he poured it out on his son and rejected his son so that sinners like you and i would not have to be rejected in eternity if we put our faith in him and the father was pleased and we know that because jesus rose from the dead resurrection life then becomes available to uh, anyone who repents of their self-worship their self-trust their sin that goes with it And they turn and give their heart to Christ by faith. If you're listening to this podcast, you must come to grips with that. Your life, your choices, your moral life, your independence, your autonomy is nothing of the sort. All of it is going exactly as your nature dictates. And being fallen and being a sinner corrupt by nature you will always choose yourself you will always choose self exaltation and you will always choose the worship of self over the worship of the one true and living god and and the only way for that to change god says is for you to come to him and plead with him for mercy thank him for a savior that died for sinners and paid the ultimate price and then put your faith and trust in christ when you put your faith and trust in jesus is isn't because you have made your life better or you've dressed up your life or gotten yourself morally back together to be pleasing to him. That isn't that isn't salvation. Salvation is you bring everything that you have been. You bring it to Christ and you lay your burden on him. And in faith, you trust that he is the savior. He says he is and he's the resurrected Lord and he has eternal life in himself. And you entrust yourself completely to him, your life now and your eternity. You entrust it to him, and you bow down to him as Lord and Master, and his spirit comes at that point, not only having moved on your heart and brought it to life, but he enters into your life at that point to change you and give you power over these destructive, sinful patterns that we've been in bondage to as sinners. And you get to become like Christ and talk like him and think like him and read the scriptures and know the truth like him. And uh, and he changes you and transforms you and blesses your life and pours out his mercy on your life, makes sense of life, uh, helps you understand the meaning of life. And you begin to have access to everything you never had access to before. Uh, and the power of God then begins to influence your life and keep you from the things that will destroy you this is the gospel and if you don't if you don't know it and if you don't come to christ or you've never come to christ then my encouragement my urging my pleading with you today is that you do that look at your life and you ask the question what in the world uh, is the meaning of all this and then uh, if you want if you want to know how god opens the heart he opens it by by you accessing the truth so just grab a bible from someone read the story of jesus christ in one of the gospel narratives in the new testament read matthew or read the gospel of john and the whole time ask the lord to open your eyes to who he is And He's a merciful God. He saves sinners. He loves to save sinners, and and I'm proof of that. And so I urge you today to do that. Give your heart to Christ. It's been a joy and a pleasure to give my testimony. I hope it's an encouragement to you, uh, having heard it today.